This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korshaw. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It's Monday. We are back doing more questions in anticipation of the Neonatology Board exams. Daphna, how are you? I'm doing great. We are rolling into, we are in February, I guess. We're recording today, February 1st. So it's officially uh, the first day of February, but it is Monday, uh, I guess the 4th for people. The 4th? Mm, no. no. That sounds, that sounds the wrong. The 5th. The 5th. For people who are joining us on the podcast, but um, we're getting there, close to test time. We're doing GI, GI and bilirubin. I actually really like this section. I find it to be the most clinically relevant <laughs> of all the sections. Like the questions are mostly pretty straightforward. And please send your comments to Daphna. Dot. <laughs> I am not step- <laughs> stepping in the middle of this. Okay, I, what I mean to say is some of the questions in the other sections can seem a little esoteric, but these are like anatomy, what's the right test, like anyways. All right. We'll see how it goes, I guess. We'll see. I'll see, I'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. And you said we were beginning with question 21. Is that right? That's right. All right. I'll ask you this question then. Oh, 21's hard. <laughs> we'll do it together then. That's fine. It's, it's, yeah, it's not... I think we're going to have to walk this one out. It's yeah, a, that's fine. It's not a straightforward question for audio format. No. The question in, in gastroenterology question 21 starts with, identify the most common etiology associated with the GI anomalies listed. So basically, mm-hmm. they give you two sets of five choices. The, you have a few pathologies. So choice A is like duodenolatresia. Choice B is general mm-hmm. ileolatresia. Choice C is malrotation. Choice D is meconium ileus. And choice E is meconium peritonitis. And then they give you processes. Like we'll, we'll talk about the first one right now. The first one is failure of normal rotation with abnormal fixation. And so the oh. question here, so the question here is what does this uh, embryologic represent? Yeah, represents. I mean, this one is, is Okay. okay, but I, this is what I'm talking about. This is why the GI section is so cool because if you understand the embryologic problem, you know like when it happens and like what to do about it. Anyways, you said it's a failure of normal rotation. I, I mean, really, the only one. I mean, it has rotation in the in the in it in the name malrotation. Yeah. Absolutely. So malrotation is is correct. Um, it's the result of failure of normal rotation with abnormal fixation with the presence of LADS bands, which are fibrous bands between the cecum and the right posterior retroduodenal peritoneum. Okay. The second one is failure of recanalization of the intestinal tube after obliteration of the lumen by epithelial proliferation. Okay. So this is going to be one of your atresias. So one mm-hmm. of them is like it never develops normally. And the other one is more likely caused by like a secondary insult. So it developed kind of normally and then you ran into problems later, like like ischemia or an infarct or something like that. So 
this one, I like to remember <laughs> in terms of the intestinal section. So the duodenum comes first. So um, this is a problem early in development. So duodenal atresia is failure of recanalization of the, of the tube. That's right. Duodenal atresia is failure of recanalization of the intestinal tube during the eighth and 10th week of gestation. After there's obliteration of the lumen by the epithelial proliferation that happens between week six and seven of gestation. This most commonly occurs in the second part of the duodenum, the second part of that C-shaped duodenum. All right, we're making progress. The next mm -hmm. one is intrauterine ischemia. It's a great one. Just that's it. Just which one? Which one of these of these is? By the way, there's no way to reutilize some of that's these. That's right. So, so, so we're running you, out of answers. So you you're, you're left right now with jejunal ileal atresia, meconium ileus, and meconium peritonitis. Well, this is the other half of that. Well, the atresia. How can you get an atresia? It's either development, anatomical problem, or you had a secondary insult. So the the farther you go down the the intestinal, uh, you know, pro progression. So the the jejunal ileal atresias are from uh, ischemia. That's right. It's digital ileal atresia is the result of intestinal ischemia. You you have to know this. Not you, Daphne, obviously, but I'm talking to the listeners here. You have to know this. They, they will ask you this question. It's a mm -hmm. question that is just too easy to, to pass on. Often secondary to volvulus, malrotation, intestinal strangulation at the umbilical ring, intestinal perforation, peritonitis, or vasoactive drugs, including cocaine, pseudoephedrine, and nicotine. So... Yeah, and I feel like that's like an easy one in the question stem where they give you this information about who knows, yeah. prenatal drug use. And you're like, why are they telling me that? And that's why. They could start with an expecting mother doing doing cocaine. Mm -hmm. And then they mm -hmm. walk you through a bit of the perinatal course. And then they give you through the birth. And you're like, oh, my God, this is, which one is it going it's gonna to be, be now? Abruption. It's going to be abruption. Right, it's going to be abruption. <laughs> and, then they show you the, and then they show you that the baby is actually doing fine. But then you try to feed and there's feeding intolerance and there's no stool, something like, and then, and then they'll show you. Yeah. The films and they'll be like, ooh. Yeah. And then they'll show you the film and be like, ooh, jejunal ileal atresia. And they'll be like, what's the mechanism? Hmm. Uh, That's yeah. a good question, buddy. Yeah. If if anybody at the AP is listening <laughs> and would like to pay me to write questions. <laughs> He's ready. He's ready. Uh, He's writing them down already. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, all right. Next one is in utero intestinal perforation with meconium spillage. Well, we only have two left. We have yeah. meconium ileus and we have meconium peritonitis. And, well, it's a yucky pathology. I actually love looking for meconium peritonitis on postnatal x-rays, the calcifications you see. But um, in utero, intestinal perforation with meconium spillage is, is meconium peritonitis. Yeah. And it happens after uh, perforation associated with an ileus, intestinal atresia, volvulus, or gastroschisis, and the spillage of meconium into the peritoneal cavity leads to peritonitis. And you can see it with these nice little white calcifications on KUB. So that's kind of, kind of nice. So then the final one doesn't really need much thinking. Mm -hmm. Obstruction with hyperviscous secretions from mucous glands of the small intestine. Meconium ileus. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> that was quick. Okay. Oh, I ask you now. If you want. I forgot how this works. Yeah, if you no, want, no problem. <laughs> so we're in question 22. This is a great question. Which of the following is the most common cause of a neonatal abdominal blank 
mass? Is it A, adrenal hemorrhage, B, dysplastic kidney, C, hydronephrosis, D, a renal vein thrombosis, or E, Wilms tumor? And some of these are the answer to a different most common question. <laughs> I know. I've gotten this question wrong so many times <laughs> that I am terrorized by it. Because it's one of these questions where you do it once, you get mm -hmm. it wrong. You repeat it, I would get it wrong again. And then, and now I see it and I'm terrorized. So I know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an unexpected finding. The, the most common cause of a neonatal abdominal flank mass is actually hydronephrosis. Mm. Believe, it or, believe it or not. You learned. You uh, see, mm. just had to do the question enough to... <laughs> In what world is hydronephrosis the most common neonatal abdominal flank mass? I don't know. But uh, just also remember that um, we're talking about flank mass. Uh, so anyway, whatever. I'm going to let you give you the answer. Yeah. I mean, not for nothing. I've literally never seen a mass associated with <laughs> Never. <laughs> never myself either. But I haven't seen many of these other things either. So what can I say? Um, the correct answer is hydronephrosis. Renal masses account for the majority of abdominal masses. This makes sense. And hydronephrosis is the most common cause of an abdominal flank mass. It can be caused by a number of things, like we know, ureteropelvic junction obstruction, a ureterovesicular junction obstruction, posterior urethral valves, a neurogenic bladder. Um, the other options are possible causes of an abdominal mass, but they are less common than hydronephrosis. Okay. Okay. All right. So then one more for, for today. Question 23, Daphna. Um, biliary atresia is the leading cause of pediatric liver transplantation. Mm -hmm. The pathogenesis of this disorder is not yet completely understood, and the disorder may be an end phenotype for different disease processes. The question is, of the following, the most likely mechanism of biliary atresia in infant is choice A, Deficiency of the ATP-dependent bile acid transporter. I'm going to say that again. Choice A is defi deficiency okay. of the ATP-dependent <clears throat> bile acid transporter. Choice B is the failure to release proteins from the liver with resultant cirrhosis. Choice C, lipid-induced damage to hepatic cells. Choice D, mutation in the jagged one gene and choice E viral infection followed by exaggerated inflammation and bile duct destruction. Okay. Well, you know, you don't think a lot about what causes biliary atresia, but what happens is, you know, the progressive loss of those bile ducts. So I already don't think it's going to be A or B. That doesn't, doesn't seem like the right choice. D, the mutation in the JAG1 gene, that's allergial syndrome. So that's not it. So then I'm kind of left with C, lipid-induced damage to hepatic cells, maybe. Or E, viral infection followed by exaggerated inflammation and bile duct destruction. And I'm recalling that there are certain populations where biliary atresia is very common, and it is associated with some sort of viral insult and this this it's the inflammation that leads to kind of like almost like scarring of the tissues so i'm gonna say e correct <sighs> that's that's <laughs> right and that's why whenever you were worried about biliary atresia and you call the hepatology team they ask you to send all these tests <laughs> lots, lots of tests <laughs> yeah um so it, biliary atresia occurs in one to six thousand 
up to one in 18,000 infants with a higher incidence in mm -hmm. Asian populations, such as uh, individuals from Taiwan. Pathologically progressive inflammatory damage to the biliary ducts results in fibrotic obliteration affecting mm -hmm. both the intra and extra hepatic biliary ducts, biliary ducts in varying degrees. Biliary atresia is classified into three structural types by the Japanese Association of Pediatric Surgeons. More than 90% of the cases of biliary atresia are from the category type 3, notable mm. for diffuse aber aberration in the structure of extra and intrahepatic biliary ducts. Type 1 and type 2 have greater sparing of the intrahepatic biliary structures, although some degree of blunting and pruning is present. Biliary atresia can also be classified into an embryonic variant uh, with uh, a higher incidence of associated anomalies such as splenic malformation or a perinatal slash acquired form with progressive inflammation. Since the 1970s, isolation of viral genetic material from the liver of a large number of infants with biliary atresia has led to the hypothesis that viral triggered immune reaction at a specific developmental time during the perinatal period could give rise to biliary atresia. CMV Reovirus and rotavirus are potential triggering agents. Um, that's pretty much it in terms of the other answer choices. As you mentioned, the um, the allergial syndrome is the attributable to the jagged one uh, mutation. Deficiency of the ATP dependent bile acid transporter is associated with PFIC type two progressive familial intrahepatic cholestasis type two. Failure to release protein from the liver is the mechanism leading to liver injury in patients with alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. Uh, Lipid-induced damage to the liver is one of the mechanisms for cholestasis associated with parenteral nutrition. And um, what, all, well, while all these diseases basically are associated with neonatal cholestasis, they are very distinct from biliary atresia. So, yeah. Very I good. mean, Billy, she's just kind of like terrifying to begin with. And to think that like, I just, I just get exposed to a virus and that's, yeah. there's nothing we can do about this. The, True. And, but there are some components of biliary atresia that uh, early recognition and early sure. intervention can prevent uh, transplantation. So that's why the, the boards are very excited about getting you to recognize this early and know about this pathology. Um, e and and there's and like they said, even though it, it does affect uh, in a more pronounced fashion the an Asian population, there's a tremendous Asian population in the United States as well. Mm -hmm. So um, so it's very relevant, very very relevant. Um, so you can expect at least one question on that, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, buddy. I'll see you tomorrow. Sounds good. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphne and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nikupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.